the Engage and Equip podcast, a resource designed to help form substantive disciples of the local church. I'm Erin Hussey, one of the hosts on this podcast, and today you'll be hearing from me and Pastor Nick as we discuss what it means to pursue the craft of ministry. Being a part of the local church means a lot more than just coming to receive and be blessed by what you hear and learn when you attend. It also means taking part in the work that God is doing. Enjoy. Hey, Aaron. How's it going? Not bad. Good, good. So today we're talking about the uh, craft of ministry, which is the topic that you discuss or that you talked about at our Engage and Equip live, yeah. uh, almost a month ago now. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to still unpack that because even though it's been a couple weeks removed, there's some a lot of really good content that I think would be good to. Yeah, it feels dive even into. longer because we're in a new season because there's not snow. Yes. This is true. Yes. So, so when you were, yes, yeah, so when we were at Engage and Equip Live, you started talking about the craft of ministry and you, and you brought us to Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. Can you just summarize that passage for us a little bit, where you were coming from? The, the whole passage. The whole passage, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so the Apostle Paul, the first three chapters, he's telling people what they are as the as the church, essentially, mm-hmm. like as this new people God has made, who Christ has elected and saved and broken down the dividing walls and all of that. So he gets to chapter four and he says, I want you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received in verse one, right? And then mm-hmm. he says, and then he goes over some character traits and says, and then he goes over a number of like, I want it, you were, you know, it's just, you're part of one body, one spirit. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of explains that you're, I want you to be one, but um, God has actually made you different by means of your giftings and your capacities, right? So mm-hmm. that you can be complete because you're one body, mm-hmm. not just one thing, mm-hmm. right? And so he's he's laying down this idea that we're kind of diverse, and yet we're supposed to have this unity, mm-hmm. right? And, and he says, now, that's a developmental goal, right? God gave you these gifts, and so he also gave you apostles, teachers, evangelists, pastors, right? Mm-hmm. In order to like help you grow up into this thing mm-hmm. so that you can, as the church, do the works of service so that you can mature and so that you can be one and so that you can you can bring the gospel to the world, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of, that's, so it's like live up to this calling I laid out in the first three chapters, which is huge. Mm-hmm. It's, you, so you have to be a certain kind of person, but you have to be that person as one. Mm-hmm right? In unity. So high virtue in unity. You have all these diverse gifts that God has given you. Therefore, God has given you this these leaders to help you mature into this thing so you can do it together. It's yeah. kind of the, the layout. Cool. So yeah. let's talk about that one language a little bit. So when yeah. I first read Ephesians 4, probably middle school, that style of writing seems so different to me compared to other things I had read in scripture, particularly the New Testament. Um, um, frankly, for myself, it sounded like a chant, like this. Um, well, so I'll read it. So Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father to all, who is over all and through all and in all. So to be blunt, I when I first heard mm-hmm. this, it sounded like this cultish chant. I was like, whoa, this is so different from any other either narrative or um, yes, any other passage that I had read in scripture. So mm-hmm. how is it that we are to understand 
this concept of being one when we, we know that it's, we're, we're not a cult. We're not doing something that is, and well, we are to be different from the world, but. Um, yeah. So that's a couple technical points here, right? Yeah. So um, what makes a cult is not the unity of shared belief, but is the ways in which people are psychologically and practically coerced mm-hmm. into submitting to that group of beliefs, mm-hmm. right? And so one of the reasons why I, I tell the staff all the time and I teach us in ministry training is it's not your job to pressure people into believing things. It's your job through the work of the Spirit to seek to persuade them mm-hmm. because persuade them uses force. To persuade people uses force, but it uses the force of the truth. Mm-hmm. And in order for the truth to have its force, your conscience has to agree, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it, something inside of you has to consent, whereas pressure doesn't work that way. If I pressure you, I'm trying to get by your unwillingness to consent and break you down. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I persuade you to something by the truth, at some point you agree, no, that's right. Mm-hmm. And so you cons- you come consensually into the unity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so in that sense, there's a very fundamental difference between calling for unity of agreement and trying to get people to conform through certain means of pressure, usually that are social in nature, mm-hmm. right? Like. Sure. You're out if you don't do this, right? Mm-hmm. Which, and, that, and of course, that gets back to the issue of church discipline and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you, but there's there's just a whole bunch of dynamics of like who the leader is and who speaks for what, and mm-hmm. right. The point here is one of the things to remember is like, so um, this book is written to the church at Ephesus, which was in the on the west coast of Turkey. Um, but Antioch is in some ways a, a better example. That was another church in Acts 13 where there's a very strong inner multi-ethnic unity, right? Mm-hmm. Which Ephesians is talking about, right? The, the dividing mm-hmm. wall between peoples has been taken away. Yeah. Antioch had, I can't remember, it was between 12 and 14 different ghettos in the city. The population density in some of the ancient cities was much higher than New York City or even Mumbai today. Mm-hmm. Extremely dense populations. And they were ethnically specific. And in Antioch, they had these walls of division, literal walls of division mm. that ran down the city like spokes on a wheel. Yeah. And you weren't allowed in, on the other side of the wall. You lived with your ethnicity. Yeah. And wow. so in Antioch, there was this church where all these different ethnicities were in one church. Coming together. Right. It yeah. was amazing, right? Mm. And so um, now we talk about diversity a lot. We say that we care about multi-ethnicity mm-hmm. and people, different kinds of people being one in Christ. But that is extremely non-natural mm-hmm. for human beings yeah. because human beings are by... We demonstrate over and over again psychologically we are tribal creatures. Mm-hmm. We're mentally programmed for groups of about 150. Um, most friendship groups are no long, larger than 30 to 50 depending mm-hmm. on certain things. Men tend to have a larger group of acquaintances for tactical purposes. So men know more people, and those people are in role-playing positions. Mm-hmm. Women tend to have a much smaller, more holistic band of sisters. So like they'll have seven close friends who they turn to. They can turn to any of them for anything. Sure. Right? Yeah. Where I, as I have one person that helps me work on my boat engine, and another person that helps me with like organic gardening, and mm-hmm. another, right there, and they're all role players. Mm-hmm. And I play roles in almost all my male friendships, right? Mm-hmm. But none of the, none of that, programs you for like getting along with people fundamentally different than you right right that's something that happens through faith or belief mm-hmm. right that god is the father of all of us or something like that mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah so it needs to be re- reiterated right. a number of times because right. it won't sink in otherwise yes and remember this is 
um, the doxology or the sort of like poetic, romantic glorification language that comes at the end of three chapters of argument. Mm. So you probably didn't pick up on this at age 12, right? Right. But there's a sustained argument from verse chapter one, verse one, all the way through to here, mm. right? Where he makes this transition. And so when he says, you know, one, we're one, 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 mm-hmm. and the God who is in all, through, in, with all, through, through mm-hmm. all, right? Um, when he's overall and through all and in all, that's kind of a doxology. It's kind of like a closing up of a whole soliloquy. Yeah. That has gone through chapters one, two, and three, and sure. is now concluding in chapter four. And now he's going to transition because as you are, go from here, he's going to have a more a more moral bent. He's mm-hmm. going to say, "This is how we should behave. Mm-hmm. This is what our relationships should look like," mm-hmm. which is going to be less overtly philosophically theological. Sure. Right. Um, less metaphysical, I guess, is the take. Right. So he's not going to be saying Jesus is up there and he's this way. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's mm-hmm. going to say, he's going to say things like. Husbands, be nice to your children, you know, your wives and children, because it's don't you shouldn't be mean, right? Right. That's still theological, but it's it's applicational. It right. feels more practical mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. So the way that I, you know, you took that a couple of weeks ago was how um, we then can actually put these practices, well, to practice in something that is tuned to each of our giftings and, and ways that we can um, use them to benefit the church. And so we're given instruction, you know, this is how we are to live. We are to be one together. Um, and you talked about how having a heart of ministry and that the attitude and passion that we have will feed into doing the task that we have, um, like having the mission and the vision. And then that has the capacity to overflow into developing a craft for ministry. Um, so obtaining the skill and the wisdom to do the task well. So can you talk about that cycle a little bit more and like how developing the craft will feed back into developing the heart and how that continues? Yes. It felt like you just asked like nine questions. So let me try <laughs> to sort out what I think you're getting at here. One is, though, so in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul is saying, you really are different. Mm-hmm. You think you're different, right? Because you're different races, different ethnicities. I mean, you're men and women, you're, you're for different backgrounds, mm-hmm. different economic classes, different everything, mm-hmm. different even languages mm-hmm. in some of these cities, right? He's like, but you're co-heirs with Christ. You're, you're co-sharers in the faith. You're one church, mm-hmm. okay? So because it's one faith, you all have one spirit, there's one baptism, all of that, right? You're one. Now, here's the problem. You're actually even more diverse than that. Mm-hmm. Because even if you were all the same ethnicity, the same gender, the same skin color, the same language... You still would be different right. because you'd have different temperaments and you have different I- intrinsic skills, mm-hmm. different thought patterns. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And so he says basically that, that all of those differences, we should look at those as gifts. Mm-hmm. Some of them feel natural and part of our inborn temperaments and so on. Some of them may feel supernatural. Like if you have spiritual insight that we would call prophetic or word of knowledge, that feels more overtly spiritual. But the apostle is saying... You should look at those as gifts. They're not dividing things, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, mu- they're mutual assets mm-hmm. that all of you have. Mm-hmm. And so you should engage in an economy of exchange mm-hmm. between them. But the, but the economy of exchange rather than the ch- exchange of money is the exchange of love and mutual sacrifice mm-hmm. within this church family, which is a very strange economic concept. The church is very different because normally you would say past a certain size you have to change the rules you relate mm-hmm. by to economic rules mm-hmm. of free exchange for material benefit. Right. And then the family functions by fundamentally different rules, 
right? Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. I get a job at a biz- at a business, right, I have to put up or shut up. And but when I go home, it's we're communists. Mm-hmm. It's like everybody <laughs> according, you know, receives according to their need, and everybody acts according to their capacity. Mm-hmm. They're fundamentally different. What the Apostle Paul is saying is he's saying that there's an economy of love that can exist in this thing called the church that can function at a large group of people, but it functions on the principles of family. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you that requires that in the church you are as committed to each other as you would be committed to a family, mm-hmm. which is very astounding. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And therefore, within the family, there is a commitment that goes past the fundamental differences of temperament and so on, right? Mm-hmm. And so he and so he's like, so this this family has parents. Right, mm-hmm. and so God, Jesus, in giving you all these gifts, He's also given you people to help make this work. Mm-hmm. So those people are. In verse um, eleven, it was He who gave some to be apostles, mm-hmm. some to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Okay, mm-hmm. now, like I said, um, at Engage and Equip Live, um, this is the only place in the New Testament where you get a you get a list of offices like this. In all the other places in the New Testament, the reference is to elders. Hmm. In the book of Acts, uh, in First and Second Timothy, in Titus, in every other place, in First in Peter, in the book of James, every other place church government is mentioned in the entire Bible where there is a reference to local church leadership. It's always elders mm-hmm. with the addition of deacons, right? right? So this is strange. This yeah. is a very strange thing. Yeah. And so um, as I've studied this over the years, the best sense I can make of this is that these offices were itinerant offices, that these people didn't live in one place, but they would go from church to church. Mm-hmm. So in any local church, you'd have your elders and deacons, and then you would have sure. apostles, teachers, prophets, evangelists that would go around and minister in churches. And so th- the whole point of those people is when they got to your church, they would try to build everybody up mm-hmm. for the works of service, right? Mm-hmm. And then they'd go, they'd leave, mm-hmm. right? Um, now... As we've talked about this over the last couple of months, I've talked about three categories for ministry. Mm -hmm. That there's the heart for ministry, Mm -hmm. which I argued out of John 21, where Jesus goes back and reinstates Peter and he's like, look, do you love me? Mm -hmm. Because if you love me, you're going to take care of my sheep. Because you can't take care of Jesus. Like, that's not an option. Mm -hmm. It's not like a marriage where like, you know, I love you and you love me and I'll take care of you and you'll Mm -hmm. take care of me. It's not like that. Jesus is going to take care of you. But you can't take care of him. Mm-hmm. So the only way you can, you can show your love back to him is to take care of his, his people, yeah. his sheep. Yeah. And so if you really love Jesus, you're gonna you're gonna take care of his sheep, right? And you'll ultimately you'll love his sheep, mm-hmm. right? That's First John says that, right? It says if you love Jesus who you haven't seen, right? The only way you can really prove that is if you love your brother in Christ mm-hmm. who you have seen, mm-hmm. right? So first is this heart, right? And so. It, so the, the question then is, okay, Jesus, how do you want me right. to love your sheep? What does that even mean, mm-hmm. right? Because you can be an indulgent kind of parent, right? There was a parent I was with recently. She said, all you really want to do with your kids is protect them. And I was like, no, sweetie, that's not. <laughs> that's not what you want to do with mm-hmm. your kids, right? But for her, she wanted to love her child, and that's what she thought her mission was. Mm-hmm. And, and she, her, her, she did not lack a heart for her child right she lacked a mission of a parent mm-hmm. with the clarity of mission of a parent needs mm-hmm. right and so the mission that jesus gives us is to make disciples of all nations right and to teach them to love the lord their god with all their heart soul mind and strength and to love their neighbor as themselves mm-hmm. 
right? That that's the kind of person they're, they're to become in Christ. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to grow in spiritual substance. They're supposed to grow in godliness, mm-hmm. which means being like Christ, putting off the old self, putting on the new self, mm-hmm. setting their mind on things above, not on things of the earth, right? right. Colossians 3. Mm-hmm. And right, that's that's the mission. So the mm-hmm. mission is to, to do that with all people. Right. Right. So the mission is godliness, mm-hmm. right? Okay, great. So then the question is, okay, now how do you do that? Right, because you can't do that for, I can't sit here and think that I will be able to do that for all people. I have right. a certain group of people that I see and have touch points with regularly. So what does that look like for me, Aaron Hesse, or whoever's listening to do that? Yeah, right. yeah that's the question. Right, yeah. and, so the, and so the answer to that question is relative to this passage, which is mm-hmm. um, Jesus gave gifts to people. Right. Mm-hmm. It says, so verse 7 in Ephesians 4 says, but to each one, that's each Christian, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So we each have grace. That, that grace there just means like gifting, mm-hmm. like capacity. Mm-hmm. Something was given to us and, and he apportioned it, meaning like you have exactly what you should get. And if you don't like what you've got, you've only got Jesus to blame for it. Mm-hmm. So it's best to be like, oh, I guess this is the right thing. Right. Right. So it's, it's, it's Paul's explicitly saying it is not accidental or random mm-hmm. what you're good at and where you are and all mm-hmm. that, right? Okay, and then he says, this is why it says, and he quotes the Old Testament in Psalm 68, 18, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men, mm-hmm. right? Now, the point of that quotation is Jesus is pictured as this conquering hero who our people got raided by a foreign enemy and they stole people and made them slaves mm-hmm. and they stole our belongings and they made them their belongings, mm-hmm. And so King Jesus has gone back into that country and invaded it and beat their behinds mm-hmm. and gotten back all of our people and gotten back all of our stuff and then took a bunch of their stuff mm-hmm. because they shouldn't have been messing with us in the first place, right? Yeah. And so um, he comes back like a conquering Roman king or an ancient king. Mm-hmm. And so he's got these slaves he releases free back to their peoples, but then he also has this plunder who he then gives to people. And so his conquering action as victor has won both people back and gifts back, mm-hmm. right? See, that's the, that's the picture. Yeah. And so Christus Victor, Christ, the, 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 the one who has won the battle, mm-hmm. wins back people to the Father and to his church, right? Mm-hmm. But he also has won back gifts mm-hmm. and he gives them to people, right? Mm-hmm. And so that what has to happen is, is that those gifts have to get ordered into Christian maturity hmm. so that you, so that a substantive Christ-like person who knows how to use their gift can function well, mm-hmm. right? right? And so learning how to do one particular gift is part godliness because otherwise you'll use the gift immaturely, mm-hmm. but it's also part craft. It's like, mm-hmm. how do you do this? Mm-hmm. So... For example, Nicole sings mm-hmm. and plays instruments. Mm-hmm. I don't do that, <laughs> right? And so your job is to like find ways to get people to like include each other and talk mm-hmm. with each other and be hospitable to each other. Mm-hmm. Hospitality is a gift. Mm-hmm. It's also a it's also a virtue. Mm-hmm. Hospitality is a general virtue, but even the general virtues oftentimes have people who excel and focus on them, mm-hmm. right? And hospitality is one of those things where you can focus generosity. Similarly, we're all supposed mm-hmm. to be generous on some level. But some people really excel at it. Sure. Yep. And so what these apostles, prophets, evangelists, te- teachers, and pastors are supposed to do is to say, all right, 
how do we get you to grow in Christ-likeness? Mm-hmm. And how can we give you what you need so you can learn how to use this gift Christ has given you mm-hmm. to fulfill his mission because you have his heart? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so Christians have to, can ask themselves those three questions. And, and where are they weaker? Do mm-hmm. I do I feel, do I believe, it? do I have the conviction that I love Christ and what Christ has done and what he represents and who he is and his true beauty and am I committed to it and do I love to be part of it mm-hmm. and would I never want to be anything but a Christian and belong to Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Do I love him and will I love his sheep? And then mission, do you know what Jesus has told us to do with our lives mm-hmm. or don't you? Mm-hmm. And is that clear and is it 100% clear? Because if you don't have the big picture, you won't know why, why you're doing anything, mm-hmm. right? And as somebody once said, um, the why is always the boss of the how, mm-hmm. right? And then the next question is, are you any good at doing it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so what I said in that talk was, at like a carpenter can get good enough to put up drywall, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's not as good as like doing custom carvings, right? Right. And there's a big difference between those two. Mm-hmm. But the person who can put up drywall can do something. Mm-hmm. And so what I tell people is if you have the heart and you know the mission, get good enough to where you can like put up drywall. You can do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and find a place where you can make a contribution. And then learn to excel in the craft of that thing. Mm-hmm. So some people, like I think a lot of people, you know, they have a heart, or at least the beginning of that heart, that fire that they know that they love Jesus and they want to serve him. Um and they know the general mission and that they need to be a part of making disciples and bringing people into the body. Um, but then somewhere in there, they don't know what that actually looks like for them. Like a carpenter, for example, maybe they have a, a carpenter might have, a, or before a person becomes a carpenter, they have a passion for making, building homes for people. Um, that passion is there. And then they learn that the way that they can help do that is through carpentry because they they have a passion for it they're good for it good mm-hmm. at it how it, like if someone were to come in and talk with you in your office and ask okay like i have a passion for this or i have a passion for the church i have a passion for loving god's people but i don't know what what my gift is i don't even know what it is that i should try to refine to become a craft how like how do you tell people or show people the way to find that gift. I mean, like spiritual, there are spiritual gifts tests out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've got a church of, you know, around 700 people and four pastors. And so not each of, you know, each of you can't meet with every single person at the church. Yeah. How do people even discover what it, what it is that they should pursue? Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of answers to that question. Okay. So some, some answers to that question are, what could be highly technical mm-hmm. and then some would be very, not technical. So let me give you a couple because there's some people that are that like they don't like when people complicate things. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you're listening and you're you don't like when people complicate things, here's the simplest answer to that question. Um, people, all human beings, are proper objects of love. Okay, all people are people to be loved. Mm-hmm. You know how to love. Okay, like it's. Um, listening to people, mm-hmm. acknowledging their presence. People are always doing what psychologists call pleas for attention. They'll just be like, oh, look at that tree, you know? Mm-hmm. And they just want you to say, 
yeah, it's a nice tree. <laughs> and on one level, that feels incredibly shallow, right? But what's really happening is somebody goes, somebody's saying, do I matter? Mm. And the other person is saying, yes, you do. Mm-hmm. That's really big. Mm. And a lot of people, so I went to a thing recently where it was like a self-help improvement weekend thing somebody asked me to go to mm-hmm. and paid my way, so I went. <laughs> and um, what, there was this thing where like you met somebody and like two minutes later, you had to spend a minute telling them all the th- good things you saw in them, which mm-hmm. I I hate that kind of thing, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, that sounds so great. Yeah. I should go next. So, um, so there was a guy in, in that, there were a number of men, especially in that thing, mm-hmm. where that when that thing happened, they were extremely uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? They did it, extremely uncomfortable. And a number of them said, nobody's ever talked to me that way in my life. Mm-hmm. Wow. Ever. So they're like 35 years old or, mm-hmm. or older, some of them. And nobody had ever said, I see strength in you. You, you have a will to get things mm-hmm. done. I see, I see confidence in you. I see care in you. I see that you love your children. I see that you want to better yourself or you would be here tonight. I see, right? Yeah. And, and that was just predicated on them sharing about themselves for about 30 seconds. Mm. So like everybody shared for 30 seconds about themselves. And it turns out if somebody shares about themselves for 30 seconds, you know about 50 things about them you could affirm. Mm. But nobody does it. Mm-hmm. Nobody actually affirms other people. Mm-hmm. And so people walk around wondering if they're enough, wondering if anybody cares, wondering if they're worthwhile, and they're just weak because of it. Mm-hmm. And they're heart sick, yeah. right? So like this idea that like we don't know how to minister to people mm-hmm. is th- merely the product of self-delusion, mm-hmm. right? So We know people, how to love people. So those people who felt awkward, mm-hmm. did they... Did they, were they glad though that it happened? Yes. They were so encouraged. Mm. I mean, they were walking on like cloud nine. Mm. It was unbelievable. They were so moved. Mm. And so um, one of the things we find is that human beings are actually worst at the things that are the most obvious Mm. in a relationship to love. We're Mm. terrible listeners. Mm. We're terrible at forgiving. We're terrible at saying what we really mean. Mm. We're, we're, like all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We're just terrible at yeah. That's why small groups are such an important ministry. Because mm. people need to be loved and talked to and listened to and belong. Yeah. I mean, th- those are very simple things. So people, sometimes people are like, well, why should I go to a small group? What really happens there? I'm just like, just everything human. That's all. <laughs> right. Just everything human and divine. But yeah. other than that, very little. <laughs> you know? Right. And so um, in that sense, like, it's cr- the, like the craft, craft is like, okay, when you listen to people, look at them. Mm. Put your phone away. Nod. Mm-hmm. Not like a shut up nod, but like a, oh, right. yeah. Like yeah. kind of in rhythm with their speaking. Mm-hmm. And like say little things back, showing them you're not just waiting for them to be done talking, but you want them to say more. Mm-hmm. And ask some follow Like I Like you can tell te- teach somebody the craft of listening in about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like one paper, you know. But then you got to train yourself to do that over practice. So like that's mm-hmm. one thing. Okay, now that's different than learning how to preach. Sure. Right. Yeah. If you if you want to have the impact of teaching people God's word and how it applies to their lives in in like as a ministry, right? Mm-hmm. Well, then yeah, there's a there's a lot of craft there. Mm-hmm. Like you got to learn the Bible and you've got to learn how to interpret it properly. You've got to learn yeah. the rules of rhetoric and how people listen, yeah. what they can take, and it's helpful if you're funny and like mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff in there, yeah. right? And then there's everything in between. Yeah. And so the craft of ministry is is like very eminently simple. And if you really have the right heart and you know the mission, that'll get you a good bit of the way to contribution. Mm. Almost any basically functioning human being, 
if they get the heart right and they get the mission right, they can they can put up drywall, so mm-hmm. to speak. They can do something. Yeah. But then, yeah, if you want to preach, if you want to, if you want to lead worship, if you want to be age appropriate in all of your lessons with five year olds in like in like children's ministry, if you want to learn how to deal with the kind of attitude thirteen year old girls have in junior high ministry, mm-hmm. right? There's a little skill to that yeah. stuff, oh, yeah. and there's so much you can learn. Mm-hmm. Um, Kathleen Trader, for example, is incredible at spotting kids who are on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. and knowing exactly what to do. Yeah. You know, there's there's all kinds of things you can get good at, mm-hmm. and one of the ways you can serve Jesus is by getting good at stuff, and that's really good news for analytic people because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people out there that aren't like everything's hard. They they see that being good at something matters, mm-hmm. and so they don't want to be told, "Look, if you love Jesus enough, just love people." Right. They're like, that's too, that's too vague. Mm-hmm. That's too shallow. <laughs> and to say, no, you can get good at skills in mm-hmm. ministry that make a big difference in people's lives. They'll be like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, right. Just right now we're talking on a sound system. John had to come up here and set up because neither of us can do it. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. And yeah. without the technical skills that John uses and our, the other people that help with the audio of this, nobody would hear this. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, as people realize the craft that they want to develop or they see, okay, this is how I want to practically, you know, you know, do something with this heart that they have for ministry. Um, you talked about a couple weeks ago that part of the development is to simply put that, like to, to practice it, to get better as right. you go. Um, so right. first question with that is why is that so hard to just do that, to follow that? Um, and then I was hoping that you could share a specific time when you had to just Get better yeah. as you went and just do something. Stories about my ministry failures are abundant. Great. So, yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> well, we've got like five minutes left. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, one way... To, one, so there's good and bad reasons why people don't want to learn by doing, mm-hmm. right? Um, the bad reasons are like we're just lazy, mm-hmm. right? We don't want to give up the time or the privacy or the whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that really goes back to the question of the heart and mm-hmm. we have to right. deal with that. And that's real. Like, I, there's all kinds of times where I just want to go home and be left alone, and mm-hmm. I don't want to serve anybody. Mm-hmm. You know. So I, I'm not saying those are bad people, and these other people right. could be. It's just you're human. You got to deal with all of it. Okay. Yeah. The, the best reason would be something like you wouldn't say to a medical student, "Learn by doing." <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Even though that is basically what happens in most hospitals yeah. in June. Like I was told by, yeah. in no uncertain terms, by a medical student here at UW, do not go to the hospital. If you can do anything to prevent it between June and August. Oh, man. That's... Because June is when the medical students get released out of their schooling program Mm -hmm. to start practicing medicine. And in about three months, they're 300% more competent than they are the first day. Yeah. And so if you can just avoid the hospital... If you get... So, like, if you get sick and it's June, like, go to the Sauk City Hospital. Yeah. Or I'm thinking for family planning. Right. Not to have a child... If you can help months. It. Okay, yeah, yes, yeah, that's yeah. good. So anyway, <laughs> so the point is, um, th- there's a there's the fear of malpractice mm-hmm. that you'll be you'll try to do something and you'll do it wrong and you'll hurt people. Right. And the answer is, you have forgotten what life is like. Okay, life is this thing that happens whether you're in the game or not. Mm-hmm. Right. It's kind of like thinking if you don't put any players into the basketball game. The game can't go forward, mm-hmm. except that's not how it works. When the timeout is over, the ref puts in the ball and you start playing mm-hmm. the game and the clock is running. Mm-hmm. And so you just have to get on the field because mm-hmm. it, the game is going on. 
And so it's best you get out there, you do your best, and that's all that's all you can ever do. And in mm-hmm. life, in, in most cases, if you act lovingly, it will be better than if you didn't do anything. Mm. Right. Yep. And then you like learn as you go. So quick example, because mm-hmm. I know we need to close up here. So uh, when I was in college ministry, I did college ministry from like age 18 to 20, like 2021. 20, mm-hmm. And like when I got to the college I went to, it was like a smaller state school. There were three people, including myself, in the, the college ministry there. Right. So like here at UW, it goes between 250 and 500 students at crew. Mm-hmm. But at the group I was in, there were three of us and the other two were Haitian immigrants. Wow. And they were kind of struggling to get just get their work done. You yeah. Know? And so I was like, oh, this is not what I was hoping for, mm-hmm. right? Because I was kind of a, I was a unbound, not not as keeled as emotionally stable as you see here today. <laughs> and so I was like, where are all these people that are going to help me walk out my faith? Yeah. Right. So yeah. Um, by the time I left, you know, the group was fifty or sixty people, and um, and it regularly had thirty, thirty-five people mm-hmm. at, at meetings. And we and we had two different groups. They were about the same size. And there was like some real stuff happening on campus, right? Mm-hmm. And I and I and I was probably the most most direct leader of all of that. Alexia and I were, right? Yeah. So I was getting towards the end, and I was thinking about what I was going to do next. And um, I decided to read a book on Bible interpretation called Exegetical Fallacies by D. A. Carson. It's basically like the mistakes you can make interpreting the Bible. I thought this will be helpful because mm-hmm. I do a lot of Bible teaching. At this point, I was I was like Mister Bible Study, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I read this book, and there's probably fifty different mistakes you can make interpreting the Bible that he covers in that book, right? And as I went through the book, like, I had made, like, every one of them. Oh, no. I mean, the, I, like, I think maybe I found, like, one. I was like, I don't know. I can't remember making <laughs> right. this one. Right? You know? And yeah. it was it was a little discouraging, yeah. right? But it but it was also... But I, I didn't think, oh, you know, none of this ministry I've, I've done will matter now. Right. Right? Like, no. I Like, I went to some people and apologized. And mm-hmm. I went to some other people and be like, I taught you this. That's wrong. Mm-hmm. This is right, and here's why, mm-hmm. right? And, then and you going was, back and doing that actually probably had a greater impact than, well, yeah, than not having taught or done anything at all. Maybe, maybe. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. But it's also what said, told me, if I'm going to, if I want to do this for my life, I want to go to at least one year of seminary mm-hmm. and learn how to do this. Mm-hmm. And I was willing to give up a year of my life and all the income I could make during that year and all of that. And at that point, I wasn't sure I wanted to do ministry. Mm-hmm. But I, I knew I was going to be in ministry in the local church, and I wanted to do a better job. Yeah. And so I thought I was going to go get a PhD in one of the humanities and be a college professor. Mm-hmm. But I was going to do this first. And so, um, so I, I did that because I wanted to be great at the craft. But I would, I don't repent of the four years of ministry. Mm-hmm. I repent of all my sins in those four years right. of ministry. But I don't repent of loving those people or the people I led to Christ or the mm-hmm. people I discipled or pastored. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So. You just got to listen. I mean, there's people listening to this that are kind of like, man, I just don't, I mean, I can't do what you do mm-hmm. or like, I don't know. I'm just, just listen, people need to be loved. Mm-hmm. Just walk in there and find somebody who needs to be listened to or loved or affirmed. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if all the only ministry somebody had was the gift of encouragement or the gift mm-hmm. of helps, like you just look for somewhere to help. Mm-hmm. And you just help the best you can. Man, that stuff makes the world go round. Mm-hmm. And so I think having an ethic of contribution that comes from a conviction of loving Jesus' sheep and being on his mission, that if you get that squared away, then you'll see you're doing a bad job. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, I don't want to do a bad mm-hmm. job. And so then you'll be ready to learn. Yeah. 
and then you'll grow in the craft because God will provide apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, mm-hmm. and pastors. He will provide those to help you with the craft if you'll listen to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you said, too, it does filter then back into having that heart of ministry. When you, as you improve in something and you really do develop a craft of a certain ministry, you realize the impact and you see the impact that it can have on people. And I think that mm-hmm. does then um, greaten the heart yeah, makes greater the heart that you have yeah. for the people around you. Yeah, and you aren't really a whole person spiritually until you have um, truth, piety, and action. Mm-hmm. Like that, you have to have the veritas, the truth, the doctrine, the concept mm-hmm. in place. That's mission, mm-hmm. right? You have to have the piety. There has to be a fire in your heart. You have to believe with like a certain kind of liquid fire, or like nothing happens. Yeah. There's no motivation, right? You've got to have the piety. But then you've got to act, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus says, the person who dug down deep and built a house that had a foundation. So when the winds blew and the flood came, it, it didn't move, mm-hmm. right? That's the person who hears my words and obeys mm-hmm. them, yeah. right? Does the thing. Mm-hmm. And so a Christian, and so what Jesus does in us so that we'll do ministry is exactly what Jesus has to do in us so that we'll be Christians, mm-hmm. really Christians. Mm-hmm. And so our sanctification is partly based on whether or not we'll obey Christ, and so I don't think you can become a mature Christian, not in the Ephesians 4 sense, without serving somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Good. Thank you. So um, wrapping up here, we've got our next Engage and Equip live on Monday, May 14th. And the topic for that, Nick, do you know what that's going to be? I don't know off the top of my head. Sorry. Um, well, we, it's going to well, be so yeah, good. It's though. so good. Yes. Um, we, I know what we can let you guys know is that we'll have our general, um, we'll have general breakout sessions that yeah. second hour, which is going to be application for, uh, general practices in Christian, just in Christian living. So like how to share your faith with others, um, how to have spiritual conversations with people, praying with people. Um, I think personal devotions is going to mm-hmm. be in there. Yeah. So yeah. definitely come to the next one, especially if you haven't been to one already, this would be a really good one to jump into. And if you're not currently volunteering in the church or at all, this is a great one to go to because you won't get sorted out based on your volunteering. Right. It'll just be pick something you want to learn about. Mm-hmm. So even if you if you you don't do anything service wise at High Point, this still come to this. Yes, definitely. Great. Thanks, Nick. You're welcome, Aaron.